0: Welcome to another episode of the Lay Bear podcast, an audio experience designed to decode leadership and inspire action. Being a forward-thinking leader and game-changer, you've tuned in to discover pragmatic tips and hints on leadership from the very best leaders. Each episode is dedicated to sharing pragmatic stories from the field and, more importantly, real examples of what successful leaders are actually doing to deliver at pace. With so much to share, let's hand over to your host, Graham Wilson. I'm really excited about welcoming today's guest, as they've been in the leisure roles for over 30 years. From his 10 years as a Royal Marine commando, and then successfully taking over and building customer service teams in multinational corporates such as Vodafone and BT, and SMEs such as City and Guilds and Seatwave, and then more recently startups such as Good Lord and Secret Escapes, where he successfully built and scaled the team and offering as the company expanded in 22 countries across the globe. He's also consulted for successful companies such as Tails.com and BCG Digital Ventures, so we can safely say that his leadership skills have been tested fully in lots of different environments and contexts. He's passionate about ensuring great customer service is seen as a real competitive advantage and has taken over and turned around and built teams that share in this vision. He's a purpose-driven leader and believes the why informs the what and how of leadership success. He's also passionate about creating sustainable, empowered and truly engaged teams utilising a human first approach. So a warm welcome to Shane Simpson. Hello Shane.
1: Hi Graham. thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure and obviously from your background you've got a, a very varied experience. Tell the listeners a little bit about your journey Shane and sort of things that you've learned along the way because it's a very interesting career that you've had.
1: Sure, yeah that's a, that's a, a polite way of putting it. <laughs> so. Uh, so I um, I Originally I I was born in Croydon, pretty working class family, kind of mixed heritage, mothers from Calcutta and fathers from Sicily, and my school years up until I was seven was kind of around where I I was born, and then I I went to boarding school. And the reason I I, I say that uh, my my mom was from Calcutta, that her family had very much believed in the education system, their boarding schools, and so she went to boarding school and always thought that was where I should go. So I ended up going to boarding school from when I was seven. A couple mm. of boarding schools, one in Dorset, one in Cumbria. And through that, that time, I mean, those things, the things that I learned there were independence, challenging myself, being determined. Mm. Uh, all of those things kind of helped me as I wanted to go into the Royal Marines. So lots of outdoor right. kind of activities You'd you would learn, sailing, getting over your fear of heights and all those kind of things. Mm. All of those things helped. And then when I was 19, after I'd left school, I joined the Royal Marines and for 10 years I served, eventually became a corporal. And during that time, I absolutely learned the majority of the leadership principles that I now carry Mm. with me. So in there for 10 years during that time, I'd made some really good friends who had kind of left earlier and they'd done some retraining and everything else. And so I left knowing that I had something that I could go into. So with the, uh, the, former colleague he had started up a, a really successful project management business mainly in customer service functions and he and right. he managed to secure an incredible contract with uh, Vodafone and mm-hmm. Vodafone at the time had bought a huge company called Management and within that they then owned networks in Italy and Spain uh, which were formerly Omnitel and Airtel and Vodafone mm-hmm. wanted to create Vodafone the brand. So ultimately, our role was to go in and take what was best, what Vodafone did in its various subsidiaries mm. and uh, its main company, and try and transpose them into the brand in these other countries. And so for six years, this is what I would call my corporate kind of period, mm. uh, for six mm. years, our job was to go and transform what was... Uh, quite a there was very little care taken in the way that they kind of built their customer service function one really key piece of information is that for for uh Anyone starting in the contact center, you literally have two days worth of training and then you were put on the phones. Wow. By the time we left, there was an eight week training period. There were exams at the end of those as well to make sure that all the learning was kind of happening in various different ways. And we spent a lot of time on actually what they call soft skills, which actually I believe are human skills. Mm. Um, and we spent a lot of time on trying to help people learn how to do that better. So for that lasted approximately for six years so six months of the year i would be in italy and spain uh, which was great it was an incredible experience mm-hmm. learned a hell of a lot around you know cultural differences and how mm-hmm. to manage those so that was a, that was a really great experience when the contract came to an end i then joined bt so again another massive corporate company i joined as a mm-hmm. false contract manager uh dealing as it, it says on the tin uh with faults yeah uh, so they were faults on the telephone line and broadband lines, and that was a fixed-term contract generally for a year. I knew that it was going to be outsourced eventually, and that's exactly what happened. Um, mm-hmm. So I was there, was there for a year, and then moved on to into my uh, SME period. So I joined City and Guilds. The City and Guilds is quite a unique company in that it's a government-backed company. It's also a charity, but also it's a business. So it's a really interesting kind of concept. Well, what kind of got me interested in that is I'm I'm a big believer in lifelong learning Mm -hmm. and that's the environment. These are generally it's vocational awards that people are learning about. So I was there for three years in the customer service team until I was offered a really good opportunity to go and join a company called Seatwave. Now that secondary ticketing market or as some people like to call it online touting. But it was generally, I mean, the principles that I wanted to bring along certainly in the customer service environment. And my particular area was with the international teams. So I had thirteen. Mm-hmm. Teams, we were in in, in various different uh, countries. I had thirteen teams uh, to kind of manage and kind of bring in some decent leadership principles and ways of working. But obviously, making sure that it was sensitive enough to their own cultural way of being, and, uh, mm-hmm. and they were real real differences uh, uh, in various countries so that was that was an interesting challenge unfortunately it only lasted 10 months until the contact center was outsourced offshore disappointing but you know it happens mm. i went from there to after after seat wave i then went into i had a, a, a various different uh, kind of contracts with a, a few companies one of which was eventing, which is another ticketing, but it's first, it's kind of like a, a, a competitor of Ticketmaster. Mm. I did local government for a, for a few months as well. That was an interesting challenge. Mm. Um, Amen. Yes, yeah, yeah. But good experience nonetheless, and, and I'm, I'm still in contact with uh, lots of the people that um, are, are, are there and, and you know really pleased with the work that I did in the short space of time. Mm-hmm. That I was there. And then I went into my uh, kind of startup period, So I was contacted by one of the co-founders of Secret Escapes, and he and I had worked together at Seatwave, so he knew work and he knew what I could do. So I went into Secret Secret Escapes at that time, only had 23 employees, so I was employee 23. I went in there and built the customer service function as it expanded massively into 22 Mm -hmm. countries. It is pretty much, I think when I left, it was probably a unicorn then. But I, I think, obviously, travel's kind of in a tough spot at the moment. But it's w- a well-funded company. And and uh, and, and when I left, I, I have to say, I mean, I was incredibly proud of the team that I left. I think that's a sign of good leadership is that actually your team is able to manage as well as if you're there or, uh, and and if you're not. And so you uh, And I think the team that uh, were, were left in place, they were in, in a really good spot and, mm-hmm. and, and to such an extent that, the person who i brought in who had been a supervisor at another company previously when i brought them in took over my role when i left and um, you know so so i think we you know allowed people to to grow during that that time and and for everything that uh, kind of went on during that period and you know it was it was quite a tough period in travel uh, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. it, it, we we did incredibly well so, so I left there in 2017. I had a, a short-term contract with Your Golf Travel and then did consultancy during that period for the, for the next couple of years with Tails.com um, mm-hmm. and BCG Digital Ventures. And and they were incredibly interesting roles and then uh, secured a role with Goodlord, which wow. is uh, where I am. So, oh, yes, it's
0: an interesting mix. Uh, absolutely, yeah, it's fascinating yeah, from uh, Royal Marine Commando to you know, the corporate world, to the, mm. the startups and the, the technology stuff, and and, and as, as customer service has been a, a link all the way through. Hasn't it? And as, yeah. a, as a customer of Secret Escape, so I can say that you've done a really, really good job because their customer service is awesome, so well done for that. Thank you. In, t- in terms of if you were to summarize that, and I, I'm a big fan of summarizing things and taking learning lessons and, and trying to get things down to a a manageable amount of information, like a one pager, what What would you say your key manifesto or key tips for leadership that you've learned that if you were to explain someone, if you did these things as a leader, then you'd be successful, what, what would they be?
1: Yeah, well, I use the, the the kind of three P's of project management. So the uh, people process and performance and kind of divide the role in, in into those kind of uh, uh, buckets. Without a doubt, the most important one of those is people. I think you can. You cannot achieve performance without the people doing incredibly well. You cannot improve the process without the people kind of owning them and, and accepting the change or driving that change. So ultimately, the people for me has been the, the one thing that has, you know, it, it's the, the uniting thing all the way through everything that I have done. They Ultimately, they simply don't happen without the people being on board. I think providing a compelling vision or cause mm. that, can unite uh, around and they have to kind of own that to not own it but they have to be co-owners of that vision you can say to them we want Mm. to be best at something but ultimately what does that mean for them they may not actually engage with it so you having to kind of workshop those things in order Mm. to with a vision that they can buy into and it goes it buys into their own values and mm. if their values are, are aligned, you'll you'll find that that vision, you know, you are on that pathway, and then you actually mm. show what their pathway is. So one of the kind of things, I mean, you will know from being in the forces. Ultimately, if you have mm. a mission, what you do is yep. you have a goal, your mission, you work backwards, and you have yep. steps in place in order, uh, and therefore the pathway, the road, is kind of there. Now, obviously, the road kind of looks straight first uh, first mm. off, but it has to be flexible enough to allow for you know curves and. Things that kind of happen. Mm. Uh, I think providing a a, a compelling vision, but also getting that buy-in, yeah, uh, absolutely, is is really key. But one of the the other things that Roosevelt said it really, really well when he said that nobody really uh, cares how much you know till I know how much you care. And I think Mm. there is that you can have all the authority in the world, but ultimately, if you don't really care about uh, the people, they will know and uh, authenticity has been kind of almost commodified now as you, you have to be authentic and, and, but what does that mm-hmm. really mean? you know uh, ultimately uh, uh, people will see through it after a little mm-hmm. while they'll see through whether or not you don't say what you mean but actually you carry that through so your actions kind of speak yeah. loud words
0: and that's, yeah. that's really testing it when you're, when you're under pressure and if you look at the crisis that's happened recently, and, and, and I'm amazed, you know, how many people have said who've been furloughed that, you know, their boss has not been in contact with them and, it's, you know, demonstrating that they don't really care. They're just after themselves, you know, and I think that's just incredible. But how, how do you, what are sort of things have you learned to show that you care? What sort of things do you do to to really build that? Because it's about care and trust, isn't it, really? You're talking about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so you have I, I think you have to give people the, the space. So when I do one to ones, that's not while we have some things that we do need to talk about, I definitely encourage them that it's their one to one. And ultimately mm-hmm. it's them to, to, to kind of have a safe space to be able to talk. I think providing mm-hmm. that safety that actually I'm okay with failure. I'm great yeah. with effort. If yeah. failure comes because of lack of effort, that's a real challenge. Um mm-hmm. uh, Failure comes because you were trying to do something. I'm more, mm. you know, far more uh, likely to, to to feel okay about that. You know, failure yeah. is part of their trying, um, but also providing that space for them to succeed. Ultimately, mm. I want them to succeed. And and I'll go back to the, you know, that you no, know, how do you show that you that you care? My my clock doesn't kind of stop. And some people might say that's not good boundaries, but my clock doesn't stop for them. At the point that my work finishes, so when I finish mm. at the clock in the evening or whatever it is, it doesn't kind of stop for for them. If I know there's something going on for them, I will be I will be available to them if they just yeah. want. To. I, I think uh, showing that you see them as a human. Uh, mm. I think human first, uh, kind of colleague or or employee mm. second approach. Is Mm. what I I found key, and uh, the way that I kind of show that I think you know I do we do lots of things to ensure that you know we have lots of time to spend outside of work. That actually Mm. it's the tiny things that really make a difference. I thank Mm. every single person at the end of the day for the work that they have done. Uh, You know, if I know there's something going on for them, I will talk to them about it. I will ask them. My first kind of question in the one to one is 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 not about how do you think you've done. It's far more about how are you as a person, what's going on for you. Especially if that's different, you know, if, if someone is performing incredibly well and then they kind of have a dip, you you the first question isn't around what did you do wrong. It is what's going mm-hmm. on for you. So that empathy mm-hmm. for them is uh, um, it, it, it goes drives through everything that I that I do. So yeah, uh, those just a couple of things that I do.
0: I, I think that's. Great. I think one thing so I was thinking as you're talking there around I bet you're the sort of person that would actually sit down with people and share your leadership philosophy and share sure. the sort of things that, that are important to you and, and what you you look for. You like the effort and you'll you'll never be upset that if someone's put the effort in. Um they, they might have done the wrong thing, but they can learn, can't they, to do it better next time. You mentioned earlier on in the conversation around on your journey around I think it was one of the, the corporates you were working for when they're integrating and they were Employing people and and they had like a two day, I think you said induction or, or onboarding process, and there were strengths to drop. And if you compare that to what you went through in the, the Royal Marines commando training, then yeah, sure. it's, it's a lot different, isn't it, to yeah. to what you had there? To you know, expect people to perform at highest level. Do you think that 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 person centered development is crucial and missing often in organisations?
1: Yes, I, I I do. I think that a lot of people actually look at what the problem is, uh, and then they think, how can I solve that? I look at the problem and then I think, do I have the right people in place to be able to resolve that? Your job as a leader ultimately isn't to actually be responsible to do the work. You're responsible for the people that do the work. And Mm. uh, your job is to try and help get the best out of them. I think the development piece is really, really important. And that you you see that there's more, uh, if they have potential, uh, and you see that there's more to them. And you only really know that by getting to know them better. You know, mm. your job, again, your job isn't to know the job completely inside and out, but your job is to know the people that do the job incredibly well and what motivates them and demotivates them. I think that investment in them is, is incredibly important for them because ultimately mm. it means you're, you're, you're preparing for the future. What's the the, the, the old saying is, uh, was it? I think it was a CFO and CEO were talking about, um, you know, what do you uh what happens if we invest all this time in these people and development and they leave and i think it was the ceo that said yeah but what if we don't invest them and in the, and they stay mm. um, that's
0: a great insight isn't it that yeah. absolutely uh, mm.
1: and, and i think if you want to build sustainable companies that's you you don't burn through your people just like that and just see them as resources you see mm. them as as people that can contribute Ultimately, to the to to the uh, vision that you have, Mm. the cause that you have, and the cause can't be just money; it has Mm. to be more than that. I think Mm. nowadays, especially, you know, people want something to believe in, and Mm. I and and I think and if you don't believe in them, you won't invest the time. Ultimately,
0: yeah,
1: Uh, and yeah, so it's really really key.
0: What what do you do, Shane, to build teams? And so I I always talk about. Yeah, as a leader, you have to lead yourself first. So understanding who you are and your purpose, your why, and, and what you do and how you do it. And then you start then to really build this team around you. So one of the things you said there around you always look, you know, is a team capable of solving that problem? So what is it that that you do to build a team and, and get the team to uh, you know an elite high performance level?
1: Sure. Well, I I think the expectations, so I have high expectations of myself. I part as part of the uh, kind of vision that we've all worked up and said this is what we want to be. I think mm. that gives them a, a buy-in. I use a principle called the pride principle, which is personal responsibility and delivering excellence. And that ultimately is a is a, a real unifier that it says to each individual, you have a part to play in this success. But ultimately it is what is, you know, what is it that they do that then contributes to the success of the business. And seeing that crucial role, that actually they have a really crucial role in in what they they do. Now, I I use a couple of uh, tools. So I use the Belbin model. I use the uh, Belbin model to kind of understand the team more. Uh, Mm. I then move on to a thing called norming. And this helps me. So they're more informal questions. So it would be questions like... um, uh, you know, are you a morning or an evening person? Uh, yeah. You know, when's the best time to kind of uh, speak to you? How would you like to be approached? Mm. That and what gets the best out of you? What's your real? You know, what's the intrinsic motivators mm. or, or for them as people? And once you have the 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 unified the the unified vision and cause. Mm. Uh, that they've all been a part of and they all take ownership of, then actually getting the team around the work and what that work is. So in the customer service department, a lot of it is is reactive, uh, but ultimately really good customer service actually reduces the reasons for contact in the first place. So a lot of my work is kind of spent thinking on what do I do to, to help that. But that's not just my role. Ultimately, they have ownership in that. And they will know better, probably than me, because they're on the front line. They will know better mm-hmm. than me what will make a better customer service department. And so yeah. allowing that, you know, and, and knowing that I don't see it as as giving my power away or anything like that. I see it as that yeah. we're in together. And ultimately it's not my team, it's yours. The success of this team will mm-hmm. be done through what you guys do ultimately and, I, and mm-hmm. so kind of building that we have a, a plenty of socials that we actually spend time with each other uh, i think we did a really uh, a good although it went on way too long it went on for about three and a half hours we did a quiz uh one friday and uh um we one of the one of the uh one of the rounds was uh, uh, two truths one lie
0: and we right, was, yeah.
1: yeah we spent about two hours on that one thing because mm-hmm. everyone's so interested in everyone else's kind of mm-hmm. two, one lie and asking questions and figuring out uh, uh, about them. That was incredibly useful because it helped give, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a vision to, to to their colleagues that actually they were human mm-hmm. and that there was more yeah. to them than just the work that they provide. Mm-hmm. And I think that truly engaged team only really happens if yeah. you really respect the other people around you. So my human first colleague second is yeah. the same approach I expect from them. And there'll be Fantastic, days when um, yeah. certain people walk in and then they're, they're not particularly happy. You, you may, you know, asking them the question, you know, what's going on for you might be that, you know, putting them on the phone might not be the best thing to do that day. It might be just yeah. give emails, you know, uh, it, it, it can be something as simple as that. Mm. But it, it might be that someone else notices it and says, Shane, I think that that person probably should be put on email today. They're struggling with this mm. and, and giving, you know, that honesty. I think is is, is yeah. really, really as well. So that's kind of a, a couple of things yeah. that I to try and build that.
0: Yeah. yeah. I really love what you were saying there, Shane, around uh, going back to the simplicity of your people process and performance model. I really like that. And and what you just spent the last sort of ten minutes talking about was people. You didn't really mention process or performance sure. at all, really, which is great because the performance comes in it from from the people bit. And, what, what I sort of took from that is that you really start with uh, the why we're here, don't you? You start with the, the vision, the cause, the purpose. Uh, and once that's really understood and, and brought in and you've got the buy-in from the team, you then spend time really getting to know each other. So you use bellbin and the norming questions and you know, what makes you tick? How do we get the best out of you? And really understand each other. Because I guess that really builds trust then, doesn't it, really around people being comfortable and i always talk about playing to position and and knowing how to get the best out of each person not just yeah. from a leadership view, for each of the team members as well yes and then fair. it's really about what is it we need to do and then finally i suppose you're into the giving them the autonomy to be able to go and work out how they how they deliver that customer service which i guess that gets into the the processing side isn't it really in terms of what what are we and going to do and how are we are going to do it and I guess, and the results come, don't they? I suppose from that. How do you how do you sustain that high performance every day, day in day out, back in the workplace?
1: I think having some patience. I, th- I think it's really, really important that there are going to be days when you're just, and there's lots of contributing factors to performance perhaps dipping for a day. I know at Seeker Escapes it was it was a really in, in, intense uh, uh, kind of a company in, in the sense that. You know, if they had a bad day on sales, there would be a fire, uh, you know, a fire drill the next day to find out what they did wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and in, in some levels, I think that works in certain teams. I think for our team, I don't think that would necessarily work for all the teams that I've worked with. I think understanding whether or not there's a trend there's there's a there's a. I, I went along um uh, and did some work with a guy that was doing doing some work for Booper. Booper mm-hmm. have a really unique model in 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 their contact centers they don't uh, use they they don't uh, look at average handle time as uh, mm-hmm. as it's set metric they allow it week to week to kind of change uh knowing yeah. that they will get a certain type of so, so If you, I mean, for instance, someone who had cancer, you couldn't be sitting there going, I only have seven and a half minutes to talk to this person. Uh, And so each week, because they allowed for you to deal with that person as was right for that person, each week their Mm. average time would change. And so I kind of take that approach to it. I don't panic about it. If there are things that we are doing, uh, and perhaps we've lost a bit of focus, perhaps I, I will know that and I will... Uh, talk to uh, the team about mm-hmm. what's going on um, uh, for them was there was there particular challenges that they were dealing with were there things that I need to help get out of their way to help them be successful whether that was mm-hmm. a process that we had introduced um, and hadn't spent enough time actually embedding it before they then took it on mm-hmm. so I, I think understanding all of those things it's more of a holistic view rather than a yeah. we just failed yeah. on that date. now it could be that you know, there, there's there's difficult kind of metrics to 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 deal with. Um, for for instance, you may get more phone calls than you have people, and will mm. be waiting for a long time. Now you can move people from one channel. If you've got multi-channel, then you may move people from one channel to try and cope with that in the short term. But ultimately, it really really shows if that happens over a long period of time, it mm. either either down to planning, uh, which is on me. Or it's, you know, do do you have enough people anyway? And I I think that's Mm. that's the thing. Or are we causing that pain in that journey? Um, That could be fixable, And it might be something Mm. we might not have seen at that that point. So I I think a lot Mm. of the thing comes on me. But I would first ask the question, what's going on for them?
0: That review process isn't it, in terms of how they're feeling, what's going on, what's happening, definitely. Sure,
1: yeah, and we definitely, I mean, certainly in the role that, that I'm in now, we've definitely seen that kind of happen. There was, you know, people were working from home and there was a dip uh, for a yeah. while. Uh, it was only a couple of weeks, but there, mm. there was a dip for a little while. And I think the working from home environment became incredibly tough, especially when it then, you know, it was around about the time that uh, uh, the uh, uh, you know, social distancing was extended mm. and, and I, that, that was incredibly tough for people. So yeah. I think being patient, understanding that this isn't normal, that there are mm. things that come back. Now, if, they were, or if it was always bad, I think then you, you there are different ways that you would approach that. But I think if it's, this is unusual, you don't panic. Yeah, you kind of, you look at it, you look, you break it down. What is exactly going on here? And and again, mm-hmm. you, I, would, I would, using the three Ps, I'll look at it people, process, and then ultimately, what is the performance that we're getting? And that's how I would uh, break that down.
0: Yeah. You made, made a really interesting point there about making sure you've got the right measurements in place. I know, having worked with quite a few call centers myself, is that it's very easy to over uh, obsess, I suppose, and, and over manage and over control uh, customer service performance. And, and you made an interesting point there about you know, core handling time. And I see so many where they put um, a standard sort of four minutes or whatever. Each call has got to be handled in four minutes, and that's a, a key measure. And it's interesting that Boopa don't do that, which is great. I know First Direct don't do that as well in, in banking. And for me, it's around allowing people to have that autonomy, isn't it? And using their experience and say, well, the most important thing is the customer gets the best possible service they can. And the time actually is irrelevant really for that. And I guess that's quite an important role, isn't it? If you set your team up for success, they know what the vision is and the vision of of what we're trying to achieve and, and how we operate. But then getting the right measurements in place because you can over obsess, can't you? That i have seen a lot of younger leaders who come in and they've got to make sure that every every dot on their scorecard is green. And if there's that's one cool. that's red, they'll they'll go in and hammer and and shout and scream and ball at people because that one actually that that red dot might not be important.
1: Exactly. Yeah. What is what is ultimately important? I mean, the, we're in the I think we're in the kind of uh, memory creation kind of business. Mm-hmm. I think. Only in at Zappos is, yeah. is an inspiration for for the way mm-hmm. that they go about their their work. I, I think that the um, yeah the desire to kind of jump in and uh, and panic a little bit uh, and not measure exactly what what is important if you're building mm-hmm. relationships and and great businesses like you can have good businesses but great uh, businesses really recognise that actually it's all about relationships and our. Mm-hmm. Goal is to try and make that relationship more sticky you know, uh, I, th- I think you could see that every contact is a failure of service uh, mm. uh, because you, you've not done things right which has meant they've had to contact you that's now true. that's not necessarily it, it's not a hard and fast rule I wouldn't say because there are certain people that will always contact you especially if you're in a tech kind of area they may not be as tech of uh and mm-hmm. and mainly more you know it's hold their hand lead them through and that mm-hmm. approach is you know i, I the the same way is, is more of a arm around the shoulder approach it's okay we're here to help and you know with it within that i think i help them you know customer service environments can be quite challenging uh at, mm-hmm times uh, uh, and people aren't necessarily always ringing you up or or contacting you and being incredibly happy and I think uh, so one of the things I use is a a psychologist called Eric Byrne put this thing together Mm. called transactional analysis and Mm. uh, transactional analysis just gives you uh, especially in a contact centre a way of being able to define what is the type of person that I'm talking to so it has three kind of email states as parent, child and adult. Mm. You are contact center person have to be remain as the adult and ultimately mm. if you remain as the adult no matter what ego state the other two are in they mm. will generally join you more often than not, yeah. doesn't always mm. happen but it just yeah. gives you a yeah. way to be able to understand what type of person I'm talking to or what is their you know sometimes if they're shouting down to you they're kind of parent and if they're yeah. shouting down, feeling disempowered they're their child and it just gives mm. you a to be able to uh, adapt yourself to the person that you're talking to, so you're treating them more as an individual.
0: You mentioned that people are now working from home and, and locked down and furloughed and all that sort of stuff going on. How do you think call centres are going to get back in? Are they going to be different in the future, or will we have more home working? or how, how do you think it's going to work in the, in the future going forward?
1: I think it's been a great and well-needed kind of experiment. I always believed, I mean, contact centres traditionally... Haven't allowed people to kind of work from home, whether that be because of security, uh, which is a very good reason. Uh, They didn't have optimal setup. GDPR is obviously a concern for lots Mm. of people. And Mm. especially for like a card taking, uh, you know, you take orders over the phone, that kind of thing. There can be real concerns around security and whether or not it sounds professional if you've got people in the background or there's noise in the background. All of those things were, uh, were real challenges and they were put as reasons for you not to do this. I was always a great believer that actually more of a work-life balance uh, was mm. possible in a contact center and so i think this has been a great experiment i think even down to uh, I, I think outsourcers will do different models i think they they will offer different models to the client depending on the client but they will offer different models i think it will have to change i think that as long as there's there's real gain in being in one place with your team and and those challenges we've definitely experienced in the working from home environment uh, uh, but uh you know things like uh, isolation all of those things are really really mm-hmm. challenging even those mm-hmm. conversations that you might have you might have had a challenging phone call and then you talk to a person you know about mm-hmm. something completely different uh, and that mm-hmm. kind of well that space you, you rarely have that when you're working from home. It's quite intense. So I think mixture. I don't think it will be all one or the other. It will be a mixture, and and, and I think Absolutely. that can only really be a good thing, uh, uh, yeah. because it's more care of the individual. I, I think it gives them a sense of you know, if you're if you're someone that lives in London for instance, you you're, you, know, if you're using public transport, that's you know it's quite a stressful thing, especially at peak mm. time. It's quite a stressful thing having that opportunity to kind of wake up, go and have a shower, whatever, and then realize, hey, I don't have to spend an hour commuting. Yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it can only be a good thing.
0: I think that links then, isn't it, to the whole importance of building remote virtual teams around the importance of the why, the the who, the what, and the how piece and, and setting that up for success. And you're recognizing as a leader, the context is different, so it needs a different style. And, and yeah. how you do that in a, in a virtual world and the remote world is is really key. I mean, it's been, it's, you know, home working has been around for a long time, isn't it? It's not, it's not new. Yeah. And remote working, has been around for a long time. So, I guess it's about adapting, isn't it? And, and choosing the right process and ways of working that fit to the context you're actually in. Absolutely. I know, obviously, in the Royal Marines, it's um, you spend a lot of time keeping yourself really, really fit. And certainly, to to get your green beret, you've got to be really fit. How yeah. how important do you think that is in the workplace in terms of health, vitality, and energy? Because I always look at leadership really as being energy. How important is that to leaders? You think to to really focus. I know you mentioned about commuting, and and you can quite easily, can't you, do two-hour commute, four days work, two-hour commute back home, and and forget about about you and self-care. Yeah. So how important do you think that is?
1: For me, it's it's incredibly important. I think, uh, um, I, you know, you can always encourage uh, your team to do to do uh, things, but I I think there's an element of they also look at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of see hey uh, is that person kind of living exactly what they're kind of espousing i think looking out for the uh, out for them there are lots of different services obviously from a mental health perspective uh, i i can honestly say i mean good lord has incredibly credible services that it offers the teams or that it offers the company you know sanctus uh, sessions are really really important and they have those i think every, every other week. And lots of people, you know, you can obviously talk to those people. One of the things I'm I'm really interested in. I'm interested in the psychology of people. And mm. I, 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 uh, Ruby Wax offers a thing called Frazzled Cafes. Oh, and right. They're Marks and Spencers. So on an evening, I think uh, in various different Marks and Spencers in their cafes, they have people like group sessions. They're obviously now doing them virtually, but normally they have kind of group sessions where you can just go and it's almost it's not a it's a, vent, a venting thing, but it's it's a kind of just having people there who kind of listen. So I think wow. that's important as well. But I think for me, on a on a physical level, physical really helps me. Uh, mm. Kind of, uh, it keeps. It's a it's a way of switching off. You know that yeah. Uh, yeah. I I don't tend to think a lot when I'm running. I'm. Mm. Uh, it's more a case of I'm actually driving myself more. My uh kind of okay this is what my next goal is this is what my next... am yeah. so if it's a five mile run i'm breaking mm-hmm. down this is where i need to go and okay and um, what time am i going to do the next mile and so i do that kind of thing and it kind of gives me my space i'm also uh, like uh, yeah I play golf and
0: yeah, okay uh,
1: an old saying about golf that uh, um if you're thinking about something else while you're playing golf you're not going to be very good at it yeah. and uh yeah. it kind of gives you that space away from everything. Um, yeah and uh, and so that's really really uh, uh you know key for me
0: i think that's true in true in everything in it shane if you if you're not focused on the the task at hand and uh, this whole myth of multitasking is uh is it could be clear now isn't it the psychologists tell us that we, we don't multitask you've got to be focused on the, on the in the moment
1: yes yes totally yeah multitasking is yeah it's not a thing it's a it was kind of it was it was an efficiency thing i think it was promoted as yeah. As ultimately, this is more efficient uh, yeah. uh, way of being, and that people have that more capacity. But the reality is that uh, it, it just makes you less pro- uh, less productive. It makes you less happy because there's a yeah. lot of, you kind of leave off, you know, off off the table. And uh, yeah, so uh, I, I don't believe in multitasking as, as the way forward.
0: That's no, for sure. definitely. Definitely, multitasking is uh, doing more things badly. I think, isn't it? I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think for me is some key key elements there. So if I was summarizing what what I'm hearing from you, Shane is that it is about it is about people. It's having this this whole philosophy around people first. And you know, as a leader, you can't get results unless you've got a good team around you. So spend your time really thinking about the people, making sure they're clear about what the the mission is and, and they're bought into it and they're part of it and they're co-creating it and then Getting to know each other really, really well, and then working out what you need to do and how you need to do it to deliver exceptional results. I love your your pride concept of was it personal responsibility in delivering excellence. Absolutely. I love, yeah. I love that as a. What a great question to ask a team is, you know, how how are we going to hold each other you know, responsible for delivering excellence and, and actually having that personal responsibility as well? So I think that's a, a great concept for people to think about and the simplicity of people, process and performance. And I know uh, because I've worked a lot with Bupa in the past and I know they have something similar where they use um, the concept called a service profit chain, which is around being passionate about people, passionate about customers and passionate about results which is very similar isn't it to to what you just talked about there about people process and performance so in a call center aspect it's about the call center team then it's around the the call center processes and then to end journey for the customers to delight them and then it's about the results will come through through the, the performance you deliver so and i know um a, a lot of elite athletes and coaches will work in that that concept as well and one thing you mentioned there was about care as well i think that's something that I think is missing often isn't it in a leadership role is people are so focused on results aren't they they forget to care for people and I know the work I've done with um, elite athletes is one of the things they they all tell me is that they won't listen to a coach unless they know the coach cares for them and I think that's so true in work as well isn't it in the business you're 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 in a call center if you're leading a call center then people are not going to listen to you unless you know unless they know that you really care for them and that whole saying isn't it yeah would you would you go to war with them? I think that's yeah. a, a commando phrase, isn't it? That yeah. do you trust them and do they care for you and and would they watch your back if you if they're in a mission critical situation? Yeah. So some really good insights there, Shane. So yeah. thank you for your time today. It's been really really useful, and I'm sure people get lots of insights from there. What how do we how do we find out about you and and what you're doing next and yeah. if you want to get in contact with you? What's the best way of doing that?
1: So I think LinkedIn is probably the the best way if it's professional. Um, yeah. I think that's probably the best way to to get hold of me. Um, okay. I, I'm still with Good Lord. My my time with Good Lord is is coming to an end in the middle of July. I have a, a couple of uh, other roles that um, I kind of uh, I'm I'm looking at, but ultimately, yes, I think awesome. I contact,
0: yeah.
1: LinkedIn is probably the best way. I contacted actually one of your interviewees um, because. Oh, yeah. I really resonated with me her journey and also like the passion for travel i think travel is an uh, incredibly yeah. important thing to open your eyes to more than just uh you know what's in front of you i think it gives you makes you a more well-rounded person
0: a final question for you Shane. how would you describe your leadership legacy
1: richard reed the guy the guy the co-founder yeah. of, of innocent uh did a book called uh, if i could ask you one thing or if I could tell you one thing. And he, and he interviewed loads of different people. And one of them was uh, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton had this thing that he said, I see people. And from the person that pours my, my coffee to the person who opens the door for me, I acknowledge them. And he, and he mm-hmm. said this, this phrase, the, uh, said, the the Zulus have a greeting, Bonner, and it means I see you. And I think ultimately that's kind of what I hope my legacy will be, is that people felt and experienced that I saw them. I, I understood their potential. I understood mm. what their challenges were and and then tried to help.
0: I really love that Shane. I always talk about leadership, about making a positive difference to the world. And I think your legacy really demonstrates that and how you support people and you do that in a humanistic way. So thank you for that. Absolutely amazing. Big thank you. Thank you Tom, I know you're a busy person. It's a beautiful day today here. So I'm sure it is where you are as well. So enjoy the rest of your day. and. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you. A big thank you for listening to the Leadership Lay Bear podcast with me, Graham Wilson. For more information on our guest leader and to find out how we can support you, check out the links in the description and look out for our next Leadership podcast. Remember, Leadership is all about taking action. Make sure you connect and apply the lessons learned. Have fun and bye for now.